This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by David Hughes. Dave, how's things? Not too bad, thank you, mate. <laughs> sure about Just that? Very, yeah, I'm very... Uh, very so-so this week after the, you know, I feel like I'm joining the club of, you know, bad Liverpool results and uh, bad results on Merseyside all around. So, uh, yeah, you know, one of them. <laughs> Can't really honest, add much more. Yeah, we're, we're recording this on the Monday Monday morning um, and I think we both could have done with a few more days away from this uh, mm. because obviously Everton, poor results. And Liverpool again, poor results, which we're going to have to get into. So we're going to look at Leicester. We're going to look at uh, the welcome dis- distraction, really, of the Champions League this week. Obviously, Liverpool have got Leipzig, and then we're going to look ahead to the end of the week, in which Liverpool have got Everton. Funnily enough, the major side derby. Um. So yeah, let's get into things. So starting with um with Leicester. Honestly, you, you could you. you it, it it we could just basically replay the segment from last week when we talked about City and what happened in that game. Um, but I'll let you take the floor, Dave. I'll let you um, lead on what what you thought happened, what you thought of the game and stuff. Yeah, look, heading up until the the seventieth seventieth minute, uh, I thought it was on course to be in a, a very impressive uh, away win for Liverpool. Although the scoreline didn't show that, obviously, you know, just a slender 1-0 lead. When you're actually watching the match, and even if you look back retrospectively now, the the kind of data, uh, you know, Liverpool were dominant in most areas on the pitch up until that point. Uh, Ball-wise, territory in terms of chances created. No, it was was quite similar to a lot of the games that we've seen between Liverpool and Leicester over these past couple of years since Rodgers has been there. Um, you know, Liverpool were by far the superior team. More so in this game. I know you alluded to City there, but I think more so this game. You know, they were they were the much better side in those first seventy minutes, and then obviously wrong side wrong side of a really tight decision, um, which we I'm sure we'll touch on briefly, even though it's not really the theme of what we do on on the show. Uh, and then yeah, and then a, a mistake. Uh, again, we'll probably touch on it where we stand on that one, uh, and then you know a fair goal just to find a nail in the coffin. But yeah, um, the same when it rains, it pours. Josh, I think that's very applicable for Anfield at the moment. Yeah, it definitely is. I think uh, looking at the game, what I mentioned there in terms of Manchester City last week, I, I agree. In terms of this was a different level performance, but I think what I was getting at was just you know. So much of a good performance, completely undone in a in a ten minute period. Exactly the same as last week. Um, but I thought in this game, I actually thought Liverpool were spot on, I, I, absolutely as good as you can be, really, for about seventy minutes without maybe finding the net, which we eventually did. But um, you know, I I went into this game confident. I always feel confident when Liverpool play Leicester. I just think it's. It's a match made in heaven in a way for Liverpool. Uh, Klopp always mentions about cutting off the service to Vardy. That's the only way to stop Vardy playing. 
And that's what Liverpool seems to do whenever they face Leicester, based on like the past four or five meetings. Leicester can never seem to escape their own half. Liverpool press press really, really highly. And Leicester, despite despite being a decent footballing team, I, I always think that they always struggle to to escape their own defensive third most of the time. Um, and that was the case this time around. Liverpool were really dominant um, for about 70 minutes. And then, out of nowhere, things just kind of collapse. But it's it's a frustrate it's a frustrating period because it's it's yet another performance that deserves at least a point really. In my opinion, three points. But it gets it gets undone by moments. Uh, throughout the game I thought Liverpool were a better team. Counter pressing was really on point. And I think by the seventeen minute mark, I think Liverpool had had eleven shots. I think Leicester had, had four. And I think they expected goals at the time. Leicester's was about 0.6 and Liverpool's was about 1.7. So, you know, that's a proper performance. And it was it was bold and well going into, you know, Leipzig and then Everton and stuff, kind of picking up a little bit, gaining a bit of confidence with the new centre-half. And then things happened. <laughs> so I think we'll go first on the um, free-kick. So, first of all, any kind of blame on Thiago's side? Well, it's interesting because obviously his um, his fouls is, is a well documented growing concern, isn't it? Really, with Thiago, but in fairness, I did have a look at this, and it it was his only foul he committed in the whole ninety minutes or however long he was on the pitch, sorry, um, um, across the game and. I don't know. I still think it, it looked a little bit clumsy for me. And one thing I will say before we touch on the kind of um, detail of whether it was offside or not, uh, you know, that was within centimetres of, of being awarded, you know, a penalty against, which would have been just as disastrous, really. That probably would have led to a, a goal against as well. Uh, well, it was actually awarded the penalty initially, wasn't it? And Navarro overruled it uh, or overturned it. So... To answer your question, uh, a little bit clumsy for me, yeah, but I don't think it was. Thiago was as much of a kind of walking free kick as he's maybe been in other appearances. Um, it was just a little bit of a clumsy one. Yeah, I agree. Looking at his numbers, obviously I've pointed out his final numbers quite a bit so far. Sent out a newsletter on a few weeks ago. Um, sent a tweet out on it. And I think the tweet was on the back of the Man United game, I think, in which he committed three fouls. And I think on the back of the United game, he was averaging about around 3.5 per 90, I think it was. Since then, despite the change in position, it hasn't really changed much. Still committed three fouls against Spurs, three fouls against West Ham, four fouls against Brighton. But then we've had a little bit of maybe hope. Um, two fouls against Manchester City, albeit in 67 minutes. And then, as you said, there in the Leicester game, he played 74 minutes, so it wasn't a full game. But it was his only foul committed, and that's that's the only game so far for Liverpool in which he's restricted himself to, to one foul, with the exception of when he faced Newcastle. But that was only he was only on the pitch for 18 minutes. So it's the first game in which Thiago's committed one foul or fewer, which bodes well. But it was a valuable foul. It was a 
it was a tricky one to uh, to give away really. And I was relieved when it weren't given as a penalty because, in my opinion, it was never a penalty. It wasn't even a question. But then when Madison stood over the free kick, I initially thought, "Hang on a minute, <laughs> this, is, this this is almost as bad as a penalty." Really, the bodies in between the ball. I knew he was going to shoot. Now what the players like, and it gets it gets chalked off. And we don't really ever talk about refereeing decisions on this podcast. This is a performance podcast. Really, we don't. I don't like talking about the stuff that you can't really influence, and you can't really influence a referee. But I was baffled by this one. I, I, I cannot see what this line is attached to. It's, it's the, it, For me, I know I'm maybe speaking from a little bit of bias, hopefully not, as a Liverpool fan, but for me, this is the weirdest call I've seen, because I, I can't see what on earth that line is attached to. It's it's such a weird call. Complete line in the middle of nowhere. He seems to be on side. I can't get my head around it. I'm just, I remember now, last night, it was a bit of a ball last night. I went to bed quite early and I'm just catching up on that message that you put in our, our little WhatsApp chat <laughs> with it on now. And I'm having a look at it and... Um, it's just... It's only... Yeah, I can't yeah. I can't get my head around it. I mean, uh, I can... If you Have you got it in front of you now, the image? I'll be honest, I haven't studied it that much after the game because... Uh, I, I haven't, I haven't, but I don't think I even need studying. I just can't see any Liverpool connection to the blue line. It's it's so, so it's weird. It's Firmino's foot, isn't it? That's what it's meant to be. But but uh, I, where is Firmino's foot? I can't even see, I can't see any foot. Sionchu's foot, right. If you look at Sionchu's foot and then he, Firmino's is ahead of that. Um... But look, I don't want to. I don't want to start looking like I'm trying to stick up for the VAR officials here because I get, you know, it's fun of abuse. I'm not really. I, you know, I think it's very debatable as well. Um, the only thing I, I just think is, you know, you're still leaving it um, centimeters either way, aren't you? So it's you kind of at, at this at this point you're relying on a, it, it to be ruled out for it to not be a goal, and it, it all leads back to that kind of really cheap foul on the edge of the box. Um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's, a, it, it, you know, it's, it, it is a tough one to swallow if, if it is that tight. I say, I'm looking at it now and I can see Firmino's football. It's, uh, it's just crazy that the game's kind of developed into this where these kind of ridiculous margins are offside. I think someone proposed ages ago that it should just be clear daylight between the lines, you know, and if not, give the benefit to the attacker. I agree with that. You know, the sport's about scoring goals and I'm of the opinion that VAR doesn't need to go necessarily, but just the clear daylight between the two lines and that that's basically it. It's easier then. Um, yeah. I just tough. I just think it, it kind of summed up a large portion of Liverpool's season, really. As I said, I'm not a referee type person. I, I, I try to focus as little on them as possible because if I focused on them as much as... Someone just do it. It, it drives me insane because it's not something that you you can influence. You you can only influence your own team, really. Mm. But this season, it it does feel as though Liverpool are really on the downside with 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 these decisions. And there's a lad who uh, on Twitter who, who tweets all this sort sort of stuff in terms of VAR calls for each team. And Liverpool are now minus seven um, for VAR decisions this season. The worst in the league. Um, some of the teams are, you know, plus three, plus five, whatever. 
Uh, but Liverpool are minus seven for the season. You just think of some of the decisions here and there that you don't like to put too much weight in because, again, it's it's on you to decide the game. If you don't get a decision, you have to keep going. You have to find another way. It's, it's about problem solving and stuff like that. But you're kind of thinking that these calls, if they've been given another way, like if, if for me, if 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 that's ruled out, I think Liverpool go on and win that game rather mm. than. I suppose capitulating in a way and and, and ended up three one, but uh, it's it's one of those decisions and it's getting to a point now where I feel like we we maybe do have to touch a little bit on on the odd the odd little refereeing call VAR call or whatever just because I do I do feel like it's having more of an impact than normal. Like every now and then, if you, if you should have one every every now and then, every team does. But when you're minus seven for the season and the really um, fine margins, it's a uh, it's tough to take um, and then obviously after Liverpool concede that goal the absolute calamity happens with um, Ozan Kabach dropkicking Alisson or, or <laughs> Alisson dropkicking Kabach or, or whatever but before we get into that really I mean general thoughts on Kabach's debut um, and maybe whose fault it was or if we even want to go down that route you know I'm not sure yeah I, I thought it. Look, I thought he did okay. Uh, I just think we we already know the football's a bit of a moments game, and that was a huge moment he was involved in. My initial thought straight away was that, that kind of finger pointing at Allison. Uh, I don't know if, if I'm being you know harshly reflecting on on my bias there. Maybe it could have been you know on the back of last week as well. You know the ne- the next game something really daft happens again. I've watched it back a few times now. Um, because I knew we'd probably talk about it today. And I'm inclined to now think that knowing Allison as well and the type of keeper that he is, I think he does come for those kind of balls, you know, in that area, sweeping them behind. I think there's two Leicester attackers coming in. So maybe it's on, you know, if he calls and Kabak ignores it, then you do put some of the blame on him. But I don't know. I, I mean, I'll be honest. I mean, I'm inclined to blame both players. I think it's just something that shouldn't happen. Um, you can kind of do the post mortem afterwards, um, but ultimately, it's just something that shouldn't have happened. I guess maybe you could say, you know, he's new into that back line and he doesn't know how how Alison works, or I don't know, doesn't recognise his call. It's it's really hard to say, uh, but it's it's really daft, really cheap, and. You can talk about the VAR goal, but I think this one is obviously the, the, the really expensive one and the one that costs Liverpool any sort of results. I know they scored a third, but I'm inclined to think that kind of probably doesn't happen if the game stays 1-1. Yeah, it looked like a, a breakdown from both sides, really, to me. Mm. As you said, I think maybe if it stems from a little bit of it being Kabak's first game with Alisson, never played with each other before. Mm. If Alisson calls... You have to blame Kabak a little bit more. If Allison doesn't call, it's absolutely Allison's fault. Uh, I must be honest. When when I seen it in real time, and the ball was kind of dropping from the sky, my my thought at the time wasn't Kabak leave it. My thought was Allison don't come. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. It Allison's decision making has been a little bit weird lately, hasn't it? And, mm. You know, you get to that point really where you're second guessing yourself. You have to keep being brave, and you can't really have a go at someone for being brave. Otherwise, it'll stop being brave. And being brave is what makes him a top keeper. Mm. But uh, 
it's one of them difficult ones, really. It's, it's do you think um, if that's Joe Gomez, do, do you think that happens? Do you, do you think the same? Because it, it, it very much is a 50 50. They both, they both connect right on touch with the ball. It's not a case of one player arriving there a second earlier or so. It's, it's mm. very much they both connect with the ball at exactly the same time. So it's difficult for it's difficult for both sides. So, but it's one of them. You know, do you think with a settled back line, you think with Joe Gomez in place, it would have happened because of where the ball dropped, or you know? Do you mean like you think Allison doesn't come for it, or do you think they just get the communication right? Well, I think I think if the same ball was played over the top, but if Joe Gomez is retreating, do you think Gomez knows Allison's coming? Do you think Allison knows Gomez will deal with it? Um. Do you know what I mean? Maybe, that sort of thing. Yeah, maybe, but it was in a really, you know, it was right on the edge of where I, I'd, I'd anticipate Allison to go. Like, he, he's he's quite far out there. Um, yeah, I'd agree with it, that. I think that there's probably shades of grey, isn't he, in, in the area yeah. that it's dropped. Yeah, he's, he's come out really far. Um, and normally it feels like he often sweeps like that when there maybe isn't that, that kind of defensive cover there. Um you know, so he'll sweep in if an attacker's looking to latch onto a ball, he beat the line. But obviously, Kalak was covering and would would have got something on it. So that's tough to be honest. I don't know. I don't know who I'm, I'm going to blame. I think it is a really difficult situation. Uh, it's it's one of them where you can only conclude that it should have been avoided, but it's really hard to finger point. I think both players sadly have just got to you know take responsibility and say you know it was both their actions that ultimately led to the goal. I mean, in, in terms of myself on Kabak's debut, I thought for 70 minutes it went probably as good as it could have simply because of how well the team performed defensively in front of Kabak. So I think mm. he got a, an absolute ton of protection for 70 minutes. And as a result, he was kind of coming out of it, having very little to do. And that's kind of ideal, really. I thought on the ball, I thought he maybe played within a shell a little bit. Um which is understandable. I think he could have played maybe a few longer passes over the top, but I think he, he kind of seemed to leave Henderson to that in this game, whether that was intentional or not. It was just mm. another thing, but I do feel like he played a little bit within the shell and possession, but that's fine as long as defensively you just kind of do the job. And I think for for a period, you know, he was, he was just okay. I don't think it was outstanding. I think it was just an okay performance, but one of them that he would have happily just got under his belt and built upon moving forward, but then obviously things happen and he's now a little, maybe a little bit scarred after his first game, which which isn't great. And it, it does feel a little bit like, um, you know, if, if it can go wrong at the minute for Liverpool, it, it will, it, it has gone wrong sort of thing. Um, just Josh, just quickly on the subject of centre-backs, any thoughts on, uh, on Davies not even being on the bench? Davies not even being on well, the bench? I was a, a little bit concerned initially until I saw tweets saying that he took a knock, which again ah, okay. that makes sums sense. up Liverpool's current problem because the yeah. guy that we've got in to address the issue has also took a knock. So yeah. whether it's long term or not, I don't know. I don't think it was, but yeah, that that reassured me on that side a little bit. Mm. It would have been interesting to see if he would have played um, if he hadn't taken a knock and then Henderson moved into midfield, obviously. But I actually think the midfield performed quite well. Uh, Curtis Jones was good, I thought. Milner obviously ended up coming off. When Aldum again, just the ball was stuck to him like glue at times, couldn't get anywhere near him. Um, before we go a little bit further on that, 
there's been a lot of a, a bit of um, talk coming out of this game of, about Thiago, uh, whether he's you know what he's doing, whether Liverpool are better without him, sort of thing, and all that sort of stuff. Thoughts on that? I mean, we might as well address it because it's getting addressed across the fan base. Uh, yeah, it's it's difficult actually because uh, sensitive. I just think he's he's kind of come into the eleven at a really difficult period. I know, I know he arrived in October, but in reality, he's basically uh, he's basically you know come into the team from like New Year onwards, hasn't he? Which has coincided with a really difficult uh, run for Liverpool on the pitch. I don't actually put put any of the bad form down to him. Uh, although what I will say is that you know I, I do think he has struggled without the ball at times. You know I think he we've already touched on the cheap fouls. Um, I think his his passing's been okay. I just think there's no need for any snap judgments right now. He, he's clearly look at his record. He's an elite player. Um, I don't think he starts writing him off at all. You know he's. Has he even played a thousand league minutes? Yeah, I don't think he has. Has he still? He's still no. some way off that. So still very early days, uh, and I think maybe what's impacting the narrative more is the results rather than his performances alone. Yeah, I think the way I was speaking to me mates about it after the game and stuff, and I think one of the ways in which I can address this one is, I think out of all the Liverpool midfielders, I think he is the one who will benefit the most from a proper spine behind him. Um, and I don't think it's a coincidence that he was looking really, really good before he got injured when Liverpool still had some sort of reliable foundation. You know, played again, played at Goodison Park with Van Dijk, Massive Gomez, whoever played, you know, Henderson in midfield, all that sort of stuff. The attack was firing. Mm. And I think he's now come into the team and he doesn't have anywhere near the same steel behind him. And the system's been disrupted a little bit with Henderson in centre-back. He's had to play alongside, you know, Curtis Jones, who's learning the game still. James Milner, who's, well, knows the game inside out, really, doesn't he? But <laughs> I, I think what I'm getting at is just, you know, if, if a new signer especially is going to benefit from from, en- from Enton, it's, go- it's going to be coming into a solid structure sort of thing. And I think Thiago has had that taken away from him in the past month or so. And it's no coincidence that since he's maybe looked a little bit more of a liability on the defensive side a little bit. But as you said, I don't think um, it's the time for snap judgments. It's, it's I, just completely not worth it. Can I just add on that as well? I do think he was hugely hyped before he come, like way over the top. Um, you know, I think he's a fantastic player, and we we you know really wax lyrical about him before he arrived on this show. But it did feel like what happened was um, he was elevated to this insane height. You know, he come on against uh, Chelsea for his debut, and you know a lot of passing. Uh, but that was again kind of elevated to for me, kind of really dizzy heights that maybe didn't reflect what was happening. Uh, like, I know we played a ton of passes, but you remember Liverpool were fantastic that they dominated even with 11 v 11. Then it went to 10 v 11, and it was perfect for him to just be that pivot and just moving it side to side, looking to pull them out of shape and stuff. Um, and I think what's kind of happened is that's all settled down a little bit, and everybody's kind of thinking, 
oh, he's, he just looks good. Like, where's this kind of, you know, this Messi-esque midfielder that, you know, some people who maybe haven't watched him before were expecting. And I think what he's almost been a victim of that a little bit. I think once that disappears and he, he just starts getting measured on his own merit, then it'll, it'll kind of even out and he'll go back to being, you know, admired for the good player he is. But, yeah, I think... Uh, I think if people are honest and they look back a little bit, reflect on it, he was getting you know elevated to to a, a level that I don't think any player could have could have really met in the first few months of the club. Yeah, I think I think what you just said there is probably where it stems from. I think it depends ultimately what he was expecting from. I think the expectations on his shoulders across the board will, will have been different. Um, those of who will have expected him to create chances, for example, will be let down because he's not that player for, for me at least. Those who were expecting him to score goals, maybe even, you know, I don't know who was expecting that, but you're wrong for expecting that to be honest. <laughs> um, what I was expecting when we bought the player, looking at Liverpool's system, I was expecting him to offer what Liverpool didn't have before, and that was um, a progressive solution in the middle of the park, um, a player who could basically do what Liverpool did in the last minute of the derby, in a way, but even though it got chalked off, that player who just could kind of like offer a key to the door, but from the middle of the park, um, while also keeping the ball as much as Wijnaldum does. Wijnaldum tends to keep the ball, lots of ball retention, but in terms of moving the ball forward, you get virtually nothing from Wijnaldum. Thiago, according to the numbers at least, offers the same degree of ball retention, but with the same amounts of progression as Tensagander Arnold. And obviously he's a master of um you know, he's got every every wedge in his in his bag, hasn't he? Every every different type of pass. Um if Liverpool need to slow the ball down, if Liverpool needs to speed the tempo up, he's got answers to that. So I just looked at him when he came in as, you know, being that player, being that presence that Liverpool didn't really have. Liverpool's midfield was all about the industry and very little more, really. Thiago was going to offer that bit of class, in my opinion, that bit of um, just something different. just a, a Penetration. Of, yeah, penetration, just um, that that kind of controller, that kind of uh, dictator in the centre of the park that we, Liverpool didn't really have. But he hasn't really been allowed to do that too much. I, I I still think I said before Liverpool signed him when we were getting linked with him. I compared him at the time to Wine Album because of his ability to keep the ball, um, very press resistance and stuff like that. Very clever, very tactical. Um, but he offered the progression that Wine Album didn't offer, and obviously Wine Album had a year left on his deal. So I thought that we we were getting Wine Album replacements in a year early. I still think that, to be honest. Mm. But I just think whatever you've expected from him and the emphasis that's maybe been on his shoulders now that Liverpool are picking up bad results, I don't think he's I don't think he's the type of player to influence you know, winning to, to that sort of degree whereby, you know, he, he can't really put the ball in there. He's a different type of player like Liverpool that you that a team's gonna get in when they've maybe got that attack and the defence in place almost. It's it's kind of hard to sum up really. Mm. Um I'm certainly not worried or concerned or feeling let down because I think there's very clear reasons behind why he's not 
being able to just kind of grab the game by the scuff of the neck as as many people have expected. But I think he has done that in certain games. I just think people are getting a bit carried away as a result of Liverpool's results lately. You know, Liverpool's results are up and down. And people are going from feeling great to feeling terrible in the space of 10 minutes. And that results in... I must say, it's, it, it, it results in quite dangerous conclusions, I think, because pe- people are inclined to look at what's happening, not really know what's happening, and just come out with conclusions that are wrong. But people believe those conclusions and dive on them and stuff like that, and it becomes a bit of a narrative thing. Mm. But I think it's important to say that, you know, despite this, if Liverpool were a bad team, we would say it, it would show up in the numbers. You would be able to see that Liverpool are a bad team. You'd be able to see that Liverpool have dropped or whatever. I still think, even though it's another case of Liverpool getting hammered, really, I still think it's an it's another example of just uh, Liverpool suffering from fragile moments, really. Liverpool being on the wrong end of what are usually margins that stay closer to the middle. But I think the margins lately are taking the opposition side quite a bit, but I just think, you know, the approach of the, the approach that we're taking that Liverpool still aren't bad. You know, there's nothing wrong with saying that is the day that 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 is what what the case is, I suppose I'm getting at. No, because <clears throat> although I haven't got them in front of me now, I know if I looked at the metrics, you know, the kind of key ones that relate to performances, um you know, most underlying metrics would still have Liverpool as, as I said, I'm, I'm, I haven't even looked, but I, I'd be more than confident to say after measuring, you know, like a top three side. Um, it's just, you know, moments I've gone against them. Um, you know, conceded at certain times when you, you probably didn't want to if, if you were to get a positive results and things. It's, uh, I, I keep expecting it to, you know, each week we've been kind of predicting victories, haven't we, for Liverpool, Jordan? basically since the new year, despite results not looking great. And that's just because Liverpool haven't become a bad team overnight. There's just other things at play now. Um, and I do expect them to come out of the woods a little bit that they're in now and you know, have, have quite a strong end to the season. Uh, I expect Champions League qualification to be fairly easy. And it wouldn't even be, I wouldn't even be surprised if they ended up finishing um, above like the likes of United, probably in seconds. Um I don't, I, you know, I still expect them to be some distance away from City, but the whole whole league's going to be, in my opinion, because of how good they, they are at the moment. But yeah, no, I, I, it wouldn't surprise me if Liverpool still finished second or third quite comfortably. Liverpool do really remind me of, of City last year, to be honest, in terms of just being very clearly a well-coached team full of really good players with most departments under control. But the actual departments that you need to be under control for, for a full 90 minutes. City couldn't really do, you know, without Laporte and with Fernandinho in the centre of defence, with Rodri spending his first season in the Premier League, similar to Thiago now, actually. Um, the difference was with City last season. City's attack kept firing, really. Liverpool's attack's taken a bit of a hit in the past few weeks. Obviously, Liverpool can't rotate like City did last year. The fixtures are more... You know, the schedule was more intense this season compared to last year. And obviously Liverpool have had Jota out for a little bit. But Liverpool do look a lot like City last season. This season, City have just kind of mixed it up a little bit. Got the defence in order, you know, with Ruben Diaz and stuff like that. And 
mix it up and attack and things. So I, I think Liverpool are really that close. Really, to, Everton is kind of in order. Really, you just need you just need your spine to become a little bit more established and a little bit more in control of those moments that materialise every now and then. And you need the attack to start scoring goals again. It's it, but other than that, most departments, you know, you have a tick in the box, so it's a weird one. But if, if Liverpool were a bad team, Liverpool are doing the things that you that you need to do to get consistent results in terms of out shooting your opponents and posting good expected goals numbers and stuff. What I will say on the XG, by the way, very quickly, the XG against City and the XG against Leicester, Liverpool lost both of them. But the reason I haven't touched on it is because they lost both of them in a 10 minute period. Um, so it they don't really paint an accurate picture of the game. Like Liverpool's expected goals against City, 1.3 for Liverpool, 3.1 for City. But then you factor in City had a penalty. Gundogan's two goals, I think, from about two yards out. Or did he score two goals? Yeah, yeah. 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 Two goals from, from about two yards out. And then obviously the Leicester game. Um, Goals end up coming from really close, so as a result of a capitulation, so um, those numbers don't entirely capture it lately. But I just think Liverpool mm. are still very much a top team, but they just look a little bit broken at both ends of the pitch, and I don't think it takes that much to to fix that. The only issue is it might have to wait until the end of the season and go towards the next season for that to happen. Analyzing Anfield. On the Blood Red Channel. In the meantime, one thing Liverpool still can play for is the Champions League. Obviously, no one's got an advantage in the Champions League at the minute. Everyone's on level playing ground. And Liverpool have RB Leipzig. We are recording on the Monday. They have Leipzig tomorrow night. So, Dave, thoughts ahead of this tie? Uh, I think it's a really tough tie, actually. Uh... I think RB Leipzig look a very good side. Um, I actually even checked where, where where they are at the moment in the in the table, which looks terrible. But I've you know I've been I've been looking into the metrics and um, you know they're definitely one of the better sides in the league uh, in the Bundesliga. Sorry, they probably perform as one of the best sides in Europe. You know, I know just this morning that they've along along with City, they're facing like the fewest shots across Europe's top five leagues. I think they've got one of the lowest. XG uh, against, um, you know, I think, although we know them as a really strong team in, in transition moments uh, under Nagelsmann, uh, what you're seeing now is as they're starting to grow in pedigree as a team, they're, they're getting, uh, you know, more equipped in terms of dominating the ball as well, you know, getting into the opposition's half and almost sustaining attacks inside the opposition's half. I think they're just a, a really... Difficult team to play against, and they've got really good players as well. Um, so yeah, I think this is a tough one. Yeah, I agree. One one thing, looking into the numbers on them, I was uh, I was quite surprised at how good the defensive numbers were. Um, yeah, they're really good. Yeah, yeah. Considering that, uh, I mean, I obviously don't watch Bundesliga every week, but you know, you paint a picture in your head of a Red Bull team in the Bundesliga, which is a quite an open attacking league but Leipzig's Leipzig's defensive numbers are are really really good whether it will be the case against Liverpool against the top teams is another story but just a little bit on their numbers then 
So for for non penalty expected goals in the Bundesliga, they're currently fourth in the table to get the fourth best attack in the league, apparently according to that. But expected goals against first and then for shots it's the same. Well, it's a little bit better actually for shots. So the second in the division for shots per match, first for shots against, and the number of shots against is considerably better than the second best team in Germany. So they face about 7.9 shots per match. The second best team in Germany faces 10. So they're the only team in Germany facing, you know, if you like, single single figures on the defensive side. Um, which, you know, takes some doing and it's quite surprising for, for a bit of perspective on that. Bayern are facing 10.7 shots per match. So they're facing about three shots more per match than Leipzig are, despite Bayern being, you know, generally a, a dominant, high-pressing mm. team and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, a little bit surprising, and it doesn't really bode particularly well for Liverpool's stutter and attack lately. What I will yeah. say, though, is the way in which they defend isn't like, you know, a West Brom or like an Atletico Madrid last season. They're a bit more of a bit more proactive than that, a bit more inclined to press. And, you know, for for pressures, for example, pressures in the Bundesliga in the attacking third, they currently rank second behind only Bayern Munich. So only Bayern Munich have, have pressed the ball in the attacking third more than Leipzig. Um which again captures their, their their tendency to press high up the field, but obviously they've they've got it in check. They've obviously got a a good defensive pair in um, Diogo Pamukano, who sadly has recently signed for Bayern Munich at the end mm-hmm. of the season, so we can check him off the list. And Kanata as well, yeah. we've got a good partnership with. So it's going to be tricky for Liverpool to attack, Dave. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you know, the, the, obviously the thing is as well, a lot a lot of these players have come through the. Um, the Red Bull system, you know, whether that be at Le- Leipzig or they've, you know, kind of come through Salzburg or, you know, and I think I'm right in saying Adams come from um, New York, didn't he? If I remember correctly. So, you know, it's it's a very aligned system. So things like the press and that you talk about, you know, this is this has been massively drilled in them from for many years. You know, uh, obviously there's always going to be marginal tactical differences between, I'll say, like Jesse March at Salzburg sets a team up compared to how Nagelsmann does at Leipzig. But, um, you know, it's it's going to be really difficult to bypass. And I think a lot of that does kind of tie in with those really good defensive numbers. But even if you do get into their, into their half, they've got really good individual defenders, uh, good systems, and it's really difficult to bypass. So it will be difficult for, for Liverpool's attackers. Um, and then you know the the so um, what I'm probably expecting, even though I alluded to before, how they've had to be a team who've kind of adapted to dominating the ball a little bit more than Germany because you know how good they are and how teams most likely um, try and sit in a little bit more, um, which is kind of what happened with Liverpool, wasn't it? Liverpool really good in, in transitions, and then as teams sat in a little bit more, they had to learn to cre- create with the ball. Um, I do expect maybe in this game it might be a, a throwback to a more kind of counter-attacking system um, where all just really high pressing and trying to create uh, in transitions more than perhaps expecting to you know dominate the ball inside Liverpool's half because I don't I can't think of many teams that ever do that 
against Liverpool. You know, even City and Anfield a couple of weeks ago, uh, they struggled to do that. Um, so on that on that thought process, I do then fear from a Liverpool perspective because if you think of, say, for example, the second goal that was conceded against Leicester, you know, that was all caused really through a kind of um, a possession turnover ball, quick played quickly, and you know that caused a confusion. But even if that confusion doesn't happen, there's Leicester attackers nearby and. You might see some of that here, you know. I think plays like almost really good. You've got Poulsen in attack. It's, uh, yeah, as I said, I just I think for Liverpool, it's a, this is a tough game. Yeah, you you sound a little bit more in favour of Leipzig than me. I'd say though, um, I do think it'll be a tough game, but at the same time, I would still have Liverpool down as favourites. I think for this one, um, just looking at the way in which Leipzig play and stuff, and the way Liverpool play. They do seem very similar matched in terms of both restricting their opponents to very few shots, both pressing high up the field and stuff like that. If you look at both teams, I would say Liverpool have got the better players on paper, um, although Liverpool's centre of defence is a little bit problematic. Um, and I think one specific area that Leipzig, um, that Liverpool managed to have a look at, looked at the numbers before, and when it comes to taking goal kicks, only 25% of Leipzig goal kicks actually go long. That is very low. Um, I think it's the second lowest in the Bundesliga, ahead of only Bayern. And if you, if you, you know, for a bit of context on that, Liverpool, for example, go long 34.6% of the time in the Premier League. So Leipzig, I think what I'm getting at is Leipzig will build from the back, or they usually do anyway. Um, and that gives Liverpool obviously pressing opportunities and opportunities in, in transition. And I think Liverpool's transition game hasn't been used enough lately. I think we saw it a little bit more against Spurs and obviously we ended up winning 3-1. We saw it on the break against West Ham, albeit from a little bit of a corner. And Liverpool scored, you know, Salah there. Um, I think it I think in terms of the stylistic matchup, I just I don't think it sh- it shouldn't materialise as a case of Liverpool dominating all of the ball and again trying to break down a, a block. It shouldn't go that way. Hopefully it doesn't, because if it does, I feel like it ends up working out worse for Liverpool. But I think, although Leipzig clearly are a well-coached team and stuff like that, good players and things, I do think stylistically it kind of is two teams coming up against each other both trying to play the same way, really, and the team that plays their way better should should win in a, in a weird way, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I think, uh, just to go back to the start, you point to where you said it seems like you're leaning more towards Leipzig. Uh, I agree, it's a very, very similar matchup, and I think if we look back to when the withdrawal was made, it was actually the other way around where it, we acknowledged this similar matchup and said that Liverpool tend to win these matches against similar opponents. Um, you know, that goes back to when we talked about the game against Salzburg, although admittedly Liverpool are better players than Salzburg. But the reason I'm, I'm leaning more towards Leipzig this time is purely to do with the uh, the form each team in. You know, Liverpool three back-to-back defeats. Um, OK, the performance was a lot better against against Leicester and wasn't too bad against City but I, I do think confidence will be a little bit lower 
Uh, you know, Leipzig are coming into it on the back of four wins. One of them come in the cup, but you know, they, they beat Leverkusen there, Schalke, Augsburg. You know, they beat some decent time sides, and I think they've. Lost, I'm just having a look now. They've they've lost two games since the turn of the year. One was the Dortmunds. Uh, the other one was a bit of a shock to man. So main sorry. Um, so I think the reason I'm leaning more towards them is just I think they'll be a little bit a little bit more confidence and. Um, that's it, but equally it wouldn't surprise me if Liverpool kind of come out on, on top on the day as well, um, you know, because they, they do seem to be performing better than maybe on the cusp of getting that big that big result and they could come in this game. Yeah, they, they seem to be, just looking at the tactics here, they seem to be fairly tactically flexible. Uh, this season, the two main systems have used 4-2-3-1 uh, 35% of the time in the Bundesliga and 3-5-2 22% of the time. Um, and it actually, in, in terms of the, the goals that they actually score, obviously we've just provided a bit of an insight into the shots and the expected goals and stuff, but in terms of the actual goals that they score, they're only um, joint joint eighth in the Bundesliga for goals per match, excluding penalties. Mm-hmm. And another little, I suppose, interesting nuggets is um, they've actually won the fewest penalties in Germany this season. They only won one all season. Um, so I think we're probably safe in that department. But then again, on the defensive side, they've conceded the fewest goals per match. So yeah, it's it, it's weird. I, I don't think it's that dissimilar to Liverpool facing Leicester again. It's it feels a bit like facing Leicester again, but in terms of the level of player, the the intentions to build from the back, the um, the attacking nature the, you know all that sort of stuff the way Liverpool will be able to press them yeah. uh, I don't think Liverpool will dominate as much in terms of the territory and stuff but it's, it feels like a similar game and I think if Liverpool were to perform in the 70 minutes that they did against Leicester for 90 minutes against Leipzig it should be taken care of really but you just can't you just can't um, predict those those complete random moments that Liverpool seem to suffer from lately and the problem is because of the, the lack of confidence any moment that gets suffered it everyone seems to kind of really feel it and and it kind of fits with the theme since Christmas that the world's against us and then Liverpool do seem to go down a bit of a, a real capitulation for a, a short period whereby we can see three or four goals if you're looking at City and Leicester the past two weeks and mm. you can't do that in the Champions League you know you, you need to stay within within a goal really in a knockout tournament yeah yeah because that's it you know if you if you can do what you did against Leicester um, you know picture that that was the first leg of a two leg tie you'd, you'd, you'd be in a whole world of trouble really wouldn't you for the second leg so it's uh, you know they're, they're quite long battles these two legged matches and that that is something that's going to be tested. I think you know if you if you go behind, can you can you keep your head a little bit? Can you maintain the performance level? Because um, I think these are the type of team that could really punish if uh, if you were to start losing your head a little bit as a team. So so we'll we'll, we'll wait and see. But I think it's a I think it'll be a good good game at very least. You know from a neutral point of view. Um, but I just can't, can't call it. As I said, I'm leaning more towards Leipzig, which is quite rare for me um, to be backing against Liverpool. But you know, I could have my eye wiped quite, and I wouldn't be surprised. 
I can't call it simply because of the moments that Liverpool are suffering from lately. They're completely random. You can't you can't predict I got a goalkeeper coming out and killing his teammates. You know, it's just completely completely random. So um but before we move on to the blues, we are gonna put a prediction in there. So uh mm-hmm. Dave thoughts. Yeah, I'm gonna go uh I'm gonna go two one Leipzig unfortunately. Um you know, I might be wrong and I think the only time whenever we've picked up I think the only time we veered towards picking a bad result for Liverpool, he went and won two big ones in London. So maybe that's a good omen. Um that I'm gonna go go against them for the change and see what happens. But you know, in the interest of being completely down the line objective, I'm I'm tipping Leipzig in this one. Yeah, I'm interested to see how the matchup plays out, how both teams perform and stuff, whether Liverpool do really dominate the ball or whether they want to play more on the break and stuff. But I'm going to go one more with this one. I, I don't think Liverpool are out of this by any means. I think Liverpool can win this, you know, I wouldn't say comfortably, not comfortably, but I, I do think Liverpool can progress here. It's realistic and stuff, but it's it's them moments. You just completely, we need to stop, stop making these individual errors. A lot of the time they're unforced. If Liverpool don't make one of those errors, we can win the tie fairly comfortably, I think. But I'm going to go one more with this first leg. Like, uh, both teams feeling each other out and stuff. And yeah, it'll be quite quite tight, I think, maybe. Mm. Uh, but in terms of Everton, Dave, mm. what happened to Fulham? <laughs> <laughs> oh, where did you start? Just to. Uh... I mean, the irony is that was a that's a very typical Everton performance where you're expected to you know be the home team and, and dominate proceedings. I think uh, the formation was a disaster. It was it was a bit like a an AC Milan kind of uh, I guess you call it you know like a four three two one type setup, um, which just didn't work. Uh, it was really poor and well beaten in that game and I think that was a you know from a Liverpool point of view it's probably a really good result because any there was a lot of confidence obviously after coming out on top in that ding dong in the FA Cup against Tottenham 5-4 and then you go into get beat at home against Fulham and then in between the, the derby game there's uh, Everton have got City which you imagine is probably going to be another defeat based on based on City's form so you could be you know coming into going to Anfield with two Back-to-back losses, really. Yeah, I mean, technically, as it stands, Everton can go above Liverpool by three points. As you said, there, the issue is their game in hand is against Manchester City. And then, obviously, they face Liverpool at Anfield. And, um, based got, on history... Got, it, yeah, on. I was going to say, so they got two games in hand uh, on Liverpool, but two one is on, City. Sorry. Yeah, one is City and the other one is Aston Villa, which is obviously no given either, you know, t- tough opponents. Yeah, I think you know going into this game, if it feels like Everton are not going to get a better opportunity to to win an Anfield, you know, with no fans in the stadium, the current form that Liverpool are in, the moments and the luck that Liverpool are suffering from, even the VAR calls and stuff like that. But it's just uh, you mentioned before the podcast before we started recording that it's it couldn't at the same time it couldn't be well it couldn't be more set for Liverpool to step up. Really? Mm, yeah, yeah. That, that's how I feel about it. I think uh, I, I said, didn't I, before the podcast starts recording? I think in the context of Liverpool and the season they've had, all the seasons they've had, I think this is kind of feels like rock bottom, which is crazy, really, because you think still Champions League and you know still well like top four 
Uh, but just, you know, compared to the levels they've been at and losing to teams like Brighton and Burnley um, and all these things going against them, it just, just feel like rock bottom type thing. But, um, you know, Klopp's had a, had a really tough time as well. I think fans have, you know, got around him and I think you'll probably see a reaction from the players to show their support for Klopp. I think it's just all geared for a huge game, which the Merseyside derby always is and, and, and one where Liverpool can kind of put to bed some of the demons at the start of this year. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I'd be quite confident. There was a, I know you won't be. I know you won't. And I know people listening and watching won't be because you never are when it's your own team, especially in games like these. But uh, I, 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 I think this is set up to be quite a nice one for Liverpool, actually. So f- for the Reds who don't follow Everton, and I'm assuming most don't, just kind of sum up for us then what Everton are this season. What what, what is Carlo Ancelotti's Everton twenty twenty slash twenty one? Um, really tough to answer. Actually, <laughs> they have a. They seem to be. Um, it, it's weird if you look at all the you know the underlying metrics, which is what we focus on. They look a very uh, medial team. You know, they look very kind of mid table ish. Um, which is, it, it, which it might be a surprise, really, if you look at how, how they've been performing in the league. But little things they've just managed to get in their favour. Uh, they've been really good from set pieces. They've scored eleven set piece goals this season, which accounts for you know roughly a third of all their league goals so far this season. I don't think anyone's scored more set piece goals. Um, and they've just had the. Little things like set piece goals, or you know, little moments of magic from from certain players. I think Everton have got a couple more match winners than what they've had in in past seasons. So, James Rodriguez, for for example, you know, he can kind of pull moments out from from nowhere. Really, you know, he scored a fantastic goal against Leicester. Uh, he scored a really good finish against United Old Trafford. You know, both of them ended up leading to positive results, uh, but. A lot of the games have still been in the balance and they've just been, Everton been doing enough to tip them in their favour. You know, I think they've got 11 league victories so far this season and eight have been by a one-goal margin, um, which kind of shows how, how tight they've been. And, you know, maybe if uh, Everton were having some of this bad luck he was talking about there with Liverpool, then, you know, it could have been a little bit of a different story. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this sums it up, to be honest, Josh, before we touch on it from a Liverpool perspective, but there's only three sides in the league with a better away record than Everton, and there's only four sides with a worse home record. So, to the team who like to go away, I think they prefer the, to be underdogs. I don't think they quite know how to be the dominant side yet. Um, so, you know, probably from an Everton point of view, actually going to play Liverpool away, is a game that probably suits them a little bit uh, in that they can kind of sit back a little bit more, remain quite compact and then be a danger on counter-attacks or from set-pieces. Yeah, it's funny that's that, that you've just come up with there, that uh, eight of Everton's 11 wins have been by a, by a single goal. I actually sent me made that stat last night. Uh, oh, yeah. Andy, actually. So, you, you you know him, Dave. Yeah, I know Andy, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I sense him that because... He's a bit more old school, a bit more traditional with his perspectives on the game, and I think he, he what he said was a win. A win is a win. That they was his exact words, and he he said Everton have basically improved in that department, their ability to get 
to to win, basically, regardless of whether they're playing well or whatever. And that's that's a bit of a concern, I suppose, from my perspective for Liverpool, because I do think this season Everton have um, they've, they've demonstrated an ability really to to win when the margins are really really fine, and they've been they've been doing that, you know, as we said on the Analyzing Everton podcast a few weeks back through. You know the odd set piece, really. Um, Liverpool obviously haven't got that threat this season, the threat, set piece threat, and defensively, obviously we haven't got Van Dijk clearing them. And if the match is tight, if Liverpool don't get much of a breakthrough, it does feel more set up than ever, really, to for Everton to kind of snatch it. And if they've proved that to go there in this season, it, it, it is snatching, snatching wins like that. But as you said there, according to Everton's performance numbers and stuff, they do look like a very beige team, in a way. Um, I think the performance numbers across the board are just okay. Um, They've got a goal difference of plus four so far. Aston Villa are beneath them on plus 12. Spurs are beneath them on plus 11. Then you've even got Arsenal on plus six. So it kind of captures how Everton there. Seventh in the table... And he can climb even higher than that. But it's arguably in a way that is, you know, you could argue unsustainable. Um, if you look at that expected goal difference per match on the back of the Fulham game to now in the, neg- in the negatives, only just, I mean, it's pretty much even par, minus 0.13 per, per match, which is, as I said, very level par. But, but that kind of means that whenever I'm going into a game, it is a bit of a flip of a coin as to whether they'll win. Obviously, their set pieces put a little bit in their favour and stuff. But that's the kind of team that they've developed into. And obviously, the the players that they've got this season, I think, are more capable of producing moments. You know, specifically, Calvert-Lewin is able to snatch a chance when it comes his way, which Allison's obviously a really good player. Hannes Rodriguez was really dangerous and I did, did, did not enjoy watching him when he played Liverpool at Goodison Park. Mm. Uh, and obviously, as I keep touching upon, you've got the set pieces. So, it's a tricky game for Liverpool, this one. It's not one that I'm looking forward to. And the, the way you said that, you know, you're never really confident when it's your own team. I usually am, if if it's mm. if there's reason for that. And But this one, I'm, I'm not. This one, I, I feel like can, again, flip of a coin, it feels like a little bit. Mm. Yeah. That's it. I, um, and it could be famous last words, this. I hope, <laughs> hopefully it isn't. But uh, I said, didn't I, when we talked most before, I don't see... I think it will be tight either way. Like, I couldn't I couldn't imagine Guy, our producer, made a joke that, uh, you know, when I was being a bit negative about the game, he said, oh, another 5-2. And I, I just can't for the life of me see that. I could be wrong because football isn't a sport that you can predict things accurately. You know, it, it constantly proves you wrong, but I don't anticipate a hammering in any way. I think it will be a really tight game, and it it, it may just be those moments again. You know, if, if we talk about if Liverpool make a, a silly mistake and Evan capitalise, or if you know what you got to remember is even though the attack's not being great for Liverpool, if Salah just produces, you know, an, an elite moment. I thought and at the game at Goodison, that finish that he he. he, he um, he had for the second where Mina half clears it and he just, I think he hit it on the volley, didn't he? Bottom corner, keeper couldn't get near it. You know, if Salah kind of does something like that, 
I think these are the little details that are going to settle the game. Uh, I expect it to be fairly tidy the side of them. So, yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting. I I do what I will say is that definitely from being in Anfield this season, um, back in the last season, it it does feel like there's a, it, it's just a neutral venue a lot more now. Obviously, there's Liverpool have that home the home comforts so to speak, but. You know, Brighton, Burnley, teams like that going there and getting victories. You just you doubt would have happened last season with with fans there, and I think that's maybe how Everton might be looking at it. Um, tough one, Josh. A tough one. I'll be glad when it's over. Yeah, it's gonna be a tough one. I think Everton, annoyingly, I think will 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 take up the kind of tactical approach that has been a problem for Liverpool since Christmas. I think they'll be more than willing to show pressure. And I think they'll kind of just want to break through Calvert-Lewin, especially who will, in my opinion, probably bully whoever he comes up against. I mean, he does well enough against Van Dijk. I mean, never mind. Mm. Henderson, who's not a centre-half. Kabak, who, to be fair, does like a fight, but maybe will not be the, the shrewdest when it comes to those fights, a little bit like Lovren. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's... It's a he wants a preview, but we've hit the hour mark for the pod, so we'll probably have to preview this one now, Dave. So, where are you going with unbiased? Yeah, I'll be honest. I um, I think Liverpool are going to win. I do. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll probably get a lot of stick off of this if any event uh, related people see it, but I, I do. I just think, um, yeah, I think it's 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 setting up to be you know a kind of game that Liverpool can bounce back. It's you could argue depends what happens against Leipzig, but yeah, I, I think it's it's probably going to be maybe a two-one Liverpool. I hope you're right. Um, I don't. And, 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 be- <laughs> and before I before I mention my um, prediction, I think it's I'm going to add the caveat that I will say that you know in, in any game going into any game, Liverpool can absolutely dominate from start to finish and win the game. But I I I'm going to say one all for this one. Mm. I don't think it's going to be better suited ever for Everton to pick up something at Anfield. There's no fans in the ground. Liverpool are a wounded animal. Everton can get us on the break and Liverpool can't really break down a block at the minute. So I'm going to say one all. Hopefully Dave is correct. I'll be reminding him that he's correct next time we come on in years. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, thanks for joining us anyway, mate. Cheers, mate. Thanks, and uh, we will be back next week to hopefully talk about some wins. So uh, see you then. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.